you follow your curiosity, you find something that, hey, I care about this in the world and I can take an action, just figure out what that is and, and connect with that community and learn about it. And it's like you plant all these little seeds and pretty soon these beautiful flowers are going to grow that will take you in a whole different direction. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness address well underway in the world that almost no one knows about. This podcast will give you hope for the future and help you take control of your life online. Bottom line, the people tackling some of the biggest problems in the world think the future is bright, and we need to see what they see. We need to understand why they get up in the morning, spring out of bed, and go at it again. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles, the online place where you have been able to find insight and innovation and good news with no politics and no ads since 2014. Along the way, I've been chatting with the thought leaders that we write about. And in October of 2020, we decided to record those conversations. Today, I'm going to be talking to thought leader, Adam Morris. Adam is somebody I feel so lucky to have met. He is operating in this world of social innovation, shining a light on incredible endeavors that are improving the world around us that most of us don't know about. And he's got a wonderful umbrella company, I would say, called People Helping People. So right off the bat, Adam has an interesting story that we're going to explore today about how he came from one world to the other, to this world of social innovation, and how he's elevating everything in it. He's got a podcast and a blog and a fabulous newsletter. And I was on his podcast just recently as well. I'm telling you, Adam and I feel like we could not be more happy to meet each other. And we want to bring you in to this new kind of energy that we feel like is happening. Because the fundamental things that both both Adam and I point to are proving that it is still an amazing world and the future is bright. So, Adam, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. I am so excited to be here, and I couldn't agree more. I just, I, I love what's going on with Ever Widening Circles, a world that's kind of coming out of the shadows. It is. It is. I, I really think we're opening a new era. And you've been out this a while, too, and, and you have this unbelievable life experience story that brought you to this moment. So, give us a little bit better introduction to what you do now, and then please tell us your story. All right. Well, People Helping People started as a podcast back in 2017, and it was really my own desire to figure out a more meaningful way to engage in my career, right? I, I was stuck, and and so I launched the, the podcast and very quickly found I was interested in social entrepreneurship. So the podcast is a way to explore what social entrepreneurs are doing and tools and resources for social entrepreneurs to be more successful at what they do. And I'll explain social entrepreneurship a little bit more in a second. But while I was running the podcast, I also ended up starting a little side hustle social enterprise. It's a work program called Wild Tiger Tees, where we work with youth who are experiencing homelessness. And we teach them how to screen print t-shirts and make mugs. And for me, it's always been really fun being able to connect with the youth that we serve and just listen to them and hear their stories and, and realize how, in a way, how similar they are to how I was. <laughs> you know, when I was 20. 
<laughs> you know, just trying to figure out my own life and, you know, they're, they're figuring out their life and creating that space for that to happen. Yeah. You know, my, my dad was a physician growing up, one of the last of the Mohicans that took care of you, birth to death, delivered your baby, met you at the hospital when your kid put his mini bike through a barbed wire fence. And he used to always say the difference between people is usually just comes to one decision. Very, very often what happens to youth that that have are struggling in the world, it, it comes down to one day when somebody might have turned right, but they turned left. And then this kid's life goes in a whole new direction. But you and I have experienced almost the same thing in a positive way with the way our careers shaped up. Yeah. <laughs> it, it took me a while. I always feel like I was a, a slow one to find my purpose and it bugged me, right? You know, it's it was back in 2005, I was doing my MBA and I had encountered a lot of ideas. Like I, I remember watching a, a documentary called Advertising and, and it's called Advertising and the End of the World by I think Soot Julie, a professor at MIT. And I remember walking away from that, realizing that advertisers have learned how to sell us products based off of our social desires, right? Not based off of the products that we need. And it came in this time when I was exploring our consumption in the world and just how out of control that was and how some of the business models that exist, you know, feed this consumerism, which is not really healthy for the planet or healthy for our lifestyle. It doesn't make us happier as people. I just want to interject here for folks listening. Where Adam and I are going to take you on a little journey for the next few minutes is something that probably is a part of your story. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you care about the world and you want to know that it's actually better than what we see on the internet <laughs> and the nightly news. And you probably have an impulse of your own to make the world a better place, to contribute in some way. And so I've been doing a lot of recent talking to thought leaders and writing and public speaking about next climbs. Like when you move along through the system, just because it was sort of what you were supposed to do or what seemed logical. And all along, you have this feeling that you're not on the climb. You haven't found your calling. You aren't contributing what you were built to contribute. And so <laughs> Adam and I are laughing because we both have very unusual stories, very different, but similar to the way a lot of people are feeling in the world right now. Most people know that they were built to contribute something, and they may not be on the path towards that. So please, <laughs> start from the beginning. Adam, you have a master's degree in engineering, right? Yeah, master's degree in engineering. I started off in medical robotics, and then yes. I felt disillusioned with that because it was. I realized that some of what we were selling um, was useful, but not really necessary. And so sometimes, you know, there, there's stuff I saw in the surgery world of, hey, this doesn't jive with my own values, and it's not contributing to the world in a way that. I'd like to. And so my, my thinking at the time was, hey, I, medical robotics is a very narrow field. Let's broaden that. And so I went and got an MBA, which was not really a step in the right direction, but it opened me up to some experiences of just learning about how the corporate world works. And my ultimate takeaway, I think, from working in that finance IT world was, uh, you know, it wasn't for me. And there was something about just the way that business was being done that didn't sit well with me. It was like, hey, I, this is great. And, you know, it works. It serves its purpose, but it's not where I want to be. And that bugged me. I kept thinking in my head, trying to figure out what it was that 
was my calling and what I wanted to do. And I, I made no progress year after year. And it was in 2017 when I turned 40. And it was like, I've been thinking about this for 10 years, and I haven't made any progress. What's wrong? I've got to do something else. And I think that was the moment when I said, Okay, I am trying to figure this out in my head. And I've been trying to figure it out the same way for 10 years, I need some new information. And so I had started a travel blog, just to share ideas around things that I was interested in, like, I love travel. But again, I wasn't getting new information. So I decided to start a podcast. And within the first few podcasts, it became people helping people where I was discovering this world of social entrepreneurship. And this light bulb just went off inside of me. So it was this moment of going out there and getting some new information, sitting down and talking to people that were doing really cool things or things that I was curious about. And through those conversations, it really gave my, my own understanding of how I want to contribute in the world a lot more meaning. <laughs> so we're going to take this conversation in little, little <laughs> wisdom, okay? <laughs> and I'm not going to let, let them just get by, maybe lost. But I think what you're telling me is that you did the same thing day after day, year after year, and we're kind of hoping something would come along that would be an aha moment. And when it never, when it didn't, you did something different. You went out and you got more knowledge. <laughs> you just started a podcast. <laughs> Which is another, you know, why didn't you go to the library? Or <laughs> many questions here about why podcasting. Why podcasting? I think for me, what I realized was the most meaningful moments in my life were those when I was connecting with another individual. And I wanted a way to connect with individuals and, and talk to them. One of the most meaningful things in my life had been the five years I spent volunteering with the Samaritans. The Samaritans are a suicide crisis line in, in England. Massive organization. I worked at the largest branch in central London where we'd have probably eight or 10 volunteers on the phones at any given time. Oh, there was over 500 volunteers there. And really tough conversations of people who are feeling lonely and disconnected. But for me personally, like being there and just just being there for those conversations felt like I was doing something worthwhile. And I wanted to recreate that. But it's like, I didn't know where to go. So for me, my thought was like, hey, I would love to have conversations with new people. And how can I get somebody who doesn't know me to sit down and just tell me what they do? And so I thought, oh, podcast, knowing nothing about podcasting, nothing about interviewing people, no background in journalism or anything like that. So it was kind of a shot in the dark. But for me, it was like, how can I actually have new conversations with people where I can get some new information? And I wanted to talk to people, like not just read it in a book or read it online, because anytime I'd search online, my attention would get distracted and would go down the wrong hole. <laughs> and I would just feel more disillusioned. So, you know, that was my way out of that hole. <laughs> Okay, so I'm taking away lessons from you that I'm, I know I'll do some writing about. You know, the first thing is you realize that by just keeping on doing the same thing over and over again, you, you were expecting different results, but you weren't getting them. So you just struck out and did something new. But I love this second, I love this notion of curiosity. I get back to curiosity. It seems to be a theme that pops up in almost every, every interview I do with social innovators around the world. They seem to have a natural curiosity. But the third thing, that you just told me was that that I'm hearing is that you looked back across your life and you said, when did I feel the most alive? Mm. When did I feel the that I mattered the most, that I had the, that my existence had meaning in the lives of others? 
Yeah. I think I had been questioning that a lot because I had felt really miserable when I was working in, you know, the finance IT world. And it was like, if this is what society has come to where I have to work in this miserable job for, you know, all this time, you know, it's like, what have we learned as a society? You know, I could go and become a farmer and live a simpler life and be more fulfilled than this. Looking at those things in my life where it was like, hey, this is meaningful. I want more of that. Absolutely. It really seems like you you took an, you made an assessment of when you felt the best about your interactions with others. And what was, this is what I like is that it sounds like you kind of peeled back the onion and at its core, what you liked about that, the, the suicide prevention line was that you were deeply connecting with other people. And then you add this curiosity component to it and your, your thirst for knowledge and knowing more and you get to be a podcaster. So, so tell us the gist of people helping people because I think you have an amazing mission. Yeah. So our mission really is to inspire greater social change in the world by inspiring people to understand how they can take action and create a new career through social entrepreneurship. And social entrepreneurship is not a term that everybody knows. And it's basically has two components. You know, the idea behind social entrepreneurship is a business which functions like a, any other business in the world where you are funding your venture through the business activities that you're engaging in. So you're selling something or providing some service, getting some income, but at the same time, your business at its core is making an impact in the world. And maybe that is to reduce poverty, maybe that is to reduce inequality, maybe that's something for the environment. I always point to the UN Sustainable Development Goals that people are like, well, what do you mean by impact? And the UN has this great list of here are our sustainable de development goals and how you look at these, you know, whether it's gender equality, whether it's sexual orientation equality, education, poverty, like they map out some nice buckets for how to define that. And so if for a social enterprise, I love this, uh, Joe DeLoss from Hot Chicken Takeover explains this really well. He says, if you remove that component from your business, your business would no longer function as it is today. So that impact component. So what separates just doing philanthropy as part of your business or corporate social responsibility, which, you know, big corporations do, you could remove that from the company and it would still essentially be the same company. For a social enterprise, if you remove that impact that you are doing to the world, then you would fundamentally be a different company. So tell me if I have this right. I've been referring to that genre of businesses as this kind of like middle category. For most people, we understand there's nonprofits and there's for-profits. And now there's this new category of businesses that are mission-driven from day one and then they go on. Like for-profits very often say, okay, when I make this much money, then I'll start giving back. And not-for-profits just <laughs> cling to existence year after year, trying to do the best they can with what other funds they can raise. But this middle ground starts from day one, making the world a better place in some way. And they're doing good while doing good businesses. Is that, uh, for instance, am I right? Would be, uh, so let's pick some common examples for people. Like is Warby Parker. So Warby Parker is the eyeglasses company that when you buy a pair of glasses, they give a pair of glasses to someone in need. Now, if you took away that component of their business, they wouldn't really be any different than all the other eyeglass companies that we know about 
right? Correct. Yeah. So that mission of, hey, we, we are, are reducing or bringing more quality to people who need eyewear, that's part of their social mission. And that is part of their identity of who they are. They would fundamentally be a different company if you took that out. Right. Whereas I talk, tell about this great, well, I want to go into specifics, but okay. So that's fundamentally. But, but you're right. There, there is this whole spectrum. And Social enterprise is is really weird because it's not really defined. Like it's not a, with a, a nonprofit, you get registered as a 501c3. There's certain guidelines that qualify you as a nonprofit. And for a for-profit company, you could be, a, there's different business designations that say, yes, you are an LLC, you're a corporation, that means something. Social entrepreneurship isn't a defined term. So you can have social enterprises, which are nonprofits, you can have them, which are, are for-profit companies. And so it's really this, something that fits around your guiding principles of what you are as a, a company. So um, give us some examples, because that's, is that basically who you talk to on, on your podcast is people who are doing Yeah, so with, with the podcast, I explore either social enterprises, people who are supporting social enterprises, or people who have a lot of specific knowledge around a certain social issue that can bring some knowledge there. So historically, if you go back, some of the kind of big social enterprises, the Irvine Eye Hospital was one of my favorite examples. They started a long time ago, a, a doctor in India when he retired said, hey, I want to set up a eye care company that will solve needless blindlessness, basically giving away free eye care to people in poverty in India. And it's a similar buy one, give one model of like, they have a service where they have better accommodations for people who are paying, but basically the same treatment for, for both populations, very efficient. And I forget the model, but he was a nut about cutting out any cost, which was not necessary out of the process to give you know, the best quality eye care service. There's this uh, example that they give where they were at a conference in England and they were basically talking about their costs of doing cataract surgery. And they were one thousandth of the cost of what it cost in England to do the same quality surgery with better results in India, right? And the guy apologized and said, oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult you. And the British were like, well, we're not insulted. We're 10 times less expensive than in the US. <laughs> So they had refined their process and cut out anything that wasn't efficient. And so they had developed a business model where they could serve this population. Um, and for me, that was really an inspiration story of like, hey, you can actually grow a really big company that's making a great impact by doing this and get people on board. In the US, like there's another example that I, I really love, which is the Grayston Bakery. And, you know, they started as a hiring model. So basically a model where they were hiring people who had barriers to employment. And so people coming out of prison, people who've experienced homelessness, kind of an early model of hiring without an application where people's past didn't affect their employment. And they became really famous about 20 years ago because Ben & Jerry's, which was a B Corp, came along and was like, hey, we'd love some of your brownies. And they delivered their brownies and all the brownies stuck together. And Ben & Jerry's were like, well, what do we do with this? And that's where the double chuck chocolate chunk brownie ice cream came from. And I, I think they still supply the brownies even to this day. But it's interesting how different businesses have different models to solve social issues. Sometimes it's hiring people with barriers. Sometimes it's providing that service through their business as a buy one, give one. Yes. That's a world of business startups these days. That I am just seeing so much of this going on all around, so much that I'm I'm calling it the opening of the gratitude economy. I think that is a fantastic way to put it. And and people die, you know, like people love it. If they know, hey, I can put my dollars over here and it's making this impact as well, that lifts you up. It also energizes employees, right? If you have a vision of like, yeah. 
I'm showing up to work not just because I earn a paycheck for my living, but I'm also solving this social issue that's out there that's not being handled by nonprofits or charities or, or other mechanisms. And that's not to knock any of these structures. Like, I think what I've learned is every, every type of business has its place, right? You know, a charity works really well for a lot of issues. You know, same with nonprofits. They have a very critical role. But I think there is this world for social enterprises to come in and develop a, a place where people can have meaningful careers tackling some crazy issues that we have and leave the world a better place in the process and, and feel better about the work that you're doing because of that. Mm-hmm. So when you start your podcast, did you start just right there in Columbus, just poking around in the streets of Columbus to figure out who was doing good and then expanded from there? Tell us more about that whole journey. So you started the podcast to sort of find what your calling was and is the podcast your calling? It's definitely interwoven. I have found a, a real passion for talking about social entrepreneurship and, and being involved in organizations that help support social entrepreneurs. So I don't know if it's the end, but it's the a piece. For me, when I started podcasting, I was really scared. I just was scared of talking to people, learning how to podcast. There, there was a lot for me to learn. And I started small with just kind of local people that I came across. And then somebody in Columbus, Ohio connected me with Emily Savers, who runs the Columbus Foundation. So, you know, they fund nonprofits. But Emily Savers had been for, you know, I think 10 years funding social enterprises. And I sat down with her and she was like, you know, this is incredible for us. Like usually we give away donations and the nonprofit uses it. And then we have to give away more donations the next year. But if I can give money to a social enterprise and they can get their business off the ground, I don't need to give them any more money and they are making their impact. And so she was really connected with the community and said, talk with this person, this person, and this person. And that's where kind of my podcast exploded around social entrepreneurship. And that's a really good point that she, that's a really good little difference that she articulated there. Mm. That social entrepreneurship means you're going to put bread on the table for yourself and grow a business, but all along the way, you are definitely contributing to the greater good. Yeah. And you're going to be self-funding, right? So you have more control. Sometimes, you know, with nonprofits, you're, you're restricted based off of your grants of what you need to do and what you need to show. And, and for a social enterprise to have that flexibility to say, this is my model, it, it works, and I'm going to tackle this problem. And with any nonprofit or social enterprise, what I found really makes a difference is they're typically really connected to the communities that they're serving. And this for me is something that you don't see with conventional businesses, like businesses are are often very focused on how am I serving, you know, my customers or my clients with a social enterprise, the successful ones are in the community, working with the people that they're, they're serving to understand the problems from their end, getting that feedback and designing solutions with them uh, to raise that up. The social enterprises that are less successful are the ones that come in and say, here's my solution, and I'm trying to impose it on the world. But I think there's a lot of dialogue ar- around these these young companies that are starting up. And it's just like they're they're in the community, they're talking to people, and change comes from those connections and, and those conversations. Well, you know, and this is part of what we're what you and I discovered too. When you follow your passion, when you discover your calling, when you there's a million ways to articulate that. 
moment, but you truly do connect with others at an entirely different level. So it's not that hard. <laughs> it's, mean, it's definitely a great way to connect with people. Here. This has what been a heck? huge question for me of like, okay, when I moved to Columbus, Ohio, I didn't grow up here. I didn't know anybody and I didn't know how to connect with anyone. I had no idea social entrepreneurship existed in Columbus. I didn't even know that Columbus was one of the top cities in the US for social entrepreneurship. And so it took me starting my podcast and talking to people to actually discover what was going on. And since then, I've I've realized, hey, this is, city is great because there's a, an organization called Social Ventures, which tracks and supports, you know, the social enterprises which are, are growing here. And they they promote them and they, they help raise the awareness that this is out there. The other organization that I became involved in was a, an event called Give Back Hack. And for me, this is like the... It's the feeder into social enterprise. It's a it, it stemmed out of a hackathon called Startup Weekend. The founder, Susie Bureau and Louisa Lee were running Startup Weekend events here in Columbus. And they said, I would love to do an event where people come together for a weekend and they launch a social enterprise. They create a social impact business. And they looked at Startup Weekend. They said, you know, it's nice that people come together in a weekend hackathon. It's great collaboration. People work on interesting ideas, but they never really go anywhere. So I want to start an event that actually launches businesses that are making an impact. And so they structured this weekend event where people come in on Friday night, pitch ideas of social enterprises they want to start, form teams. And then the goal for the weekend is to develop an MVP, a minimally viable product of like, here's how I would test my idea and get feedback. And over the weekend, you actually have to go out and talk to people in the community to get feedback on your idea. And there's a lot of design thinking and iteration that goes in. But with this event, when you're part of Give Back Hack, you're connecting with a lot of people from different backgrounds. Probably half of them have never heard of social entrepreneurship before. And for me, okay. you see these light bulbs go off in people's head of like, I never knew I could be an entrepreneur. I never knew social entrepreneurship existed. I never knew that my talents as a designer were incredibly useful or my talents, just me being me and being able to Google is incredibly useful in developing business. And so you see this magic of people coming together, learning about this world and being able to get something off the ground. And they actually have a really high success rate of, of launching companies through their events. So it's, I, I, I love what they're doing. <laughs> Is that happening around the country or only in Columbus? They are currently in Columbus, Cleveland. They've run events in Baltimore, Los Angeles, and Thailand. So they, oh. they are, are growing. But there are similar events. You know, I think when, when people look to universities and, and local areas, quite often there are similar events going on or organizations which are helping support social entrepreneurs. So I think so, there's something really valuable we... about giving people this almost push or way to connect with the community, you know, to create impact. Well, that is the linchpin in this whole thing is that connection thing. What I've noticed is we're all struggling. You know, we're all like little points of light out in the darkness. And we're shouting our ideas into the, the chasm. We can't hear each other. We don't even know each other. This, really, we're going to take a break. And I'm going to tell folks in the break about this incredible network that we've launched called the Conspiracy of Goodness Network, where people can come together. But to hear you talk about that, I think we've probably have the right impulse here. Because if I want you to tell us before we take the break, if we're getting people's wheels turning, if there are people listening to this podcast who, who are doing good work in something, but they don't feel like they've found their, their calling, and they want to just start doing something different, like you experienced, you just made yourself just go out and start something different, learn something new. How do you think people 
Google this or to find a network of people that are locally perhaps doing cool things or coming together around things. How do you just, how do you connect with a group of people that are like-minded in this genre? I think what you mentioned earlier about curiosity, that is a key component. So being able to develop your curiosity around things that you find interesting and exciting. I mean, one way is to to Google social enterprise in Columbus, Ohio, or, or okay. wherever you're at, right? That That's one way. The other way I found is really useful is through volunteering. And there's so many ways to get out and volunteer in your community. And quite often, this is the best start to anything that you want to do in the social impact space is get to know your community better. Look around for opportunities where you can volunteer and connect with the people that you're serving, right? So some volunteering, you're serving an organization, but you're not really talking to people. So if you can look for opportunities where you can connect with people on a personal level, that fuels so much because as soon as you develop those connections, you start to realize, hey, we're not that different. You start to realize, hey, wait a minute, you've got something going on in your life and hey, here's how I've approached it in my life and what do you need? What you start asking from their standpoint of like, hey, what's going on here? And there's a magic from that sharing and it goes both ways. And for me, that is the way into this space is by connecting with your community. There's tons of ways to volunteer, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the beginning. Okay, let's jump out for a second and hear about the Conspiracy of Goodness Network because that's going to be a place. We, we've done a soft launch, but it, it is sitting there. We're going to do a hard launch in October and it is sitting there waiting for people to find each other in just the way that you've described, Adam. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all, people like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world. Those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, 
collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. So Adam, you were helping us sort of take the 10,000 foot look on what this whole world of social entrepreneurship is. And I suppose there's lots of different levels where people can sort of test the waters. So there may be people listening to this podcast who have this incredible idea for a business. And it would be foundational, as you've described, to have this social mission so that I'm solving this problem while I'm creating this this thing that's going to put bread on my table and benefit the lives of lots and lots of people. There's that. Then there's folks who want to want to dabble in these various, you know, work for these kind of companies, right? So tell me what that world looks like when you're, I guess, if you could give us some stories of some very memorable people that you've interviewed on the podcast and help us feel like what it would be a part of, to be a part of in the working world of a, of a social enterprise. Yeah, I'll give you uh, two or three examples. The first, you know, just starting off with Wild Tiger Tees from my podcast, I interviewed Ann Bishop, who's the CEO of the Star House. The Star House is a drop-in center here in Columbus, Ohio, that serves youth age 14 to 24 who are experiencing homelessness. And it was through that podcast that I learned, hey, they have a great organization. They serve over a thousand youth every year coming through the doors. And my heart just kind of went out to them saying, hey, you know, I care about this. There was that feeling of, hey, I want to do something. And with nonprofits, quite often they have limited resources. And she mentioned that they wanted to start a work program. And so that triggered something in my head of saying, hey, maybe I could actually jump in here and do this little thing. Um, And it's not huge. It's a side hustle. It's something that we do in our spare time. And so for me, that way was connecting with a nonprofit, listening to their needs, and then finding a way to help out. A recent podcast I had was with Rich Brubaker of Collective Responsibility, and his story was very different. He had gotten into the work of sustainability in China, both teaching about it and just from his own experience working with companies on sustainability projects. But what he did, I thought was really fascinating was as he was building his you know, expertise in sustainability, he was running events and just talk. So he would go into a community, find somebody who was a local leader and organize a talk around that, and then invite a bunch of people from that community together for that. And he would get to know the the people there. So he found this way of connecting with people just by hosting events with speakers that he found interesting in that community. And I think some of us think, hey, you need to be an expert in order to organize a talk. But there's organizations that are always looking for interesting speakers and ways to partner with those organizations. You know, we've done talks with Tech Life here in Columbus. There's Columbus Young Professionals. And these kind of professional organizations exist everywhere. And they're always having interesting talks. And so there's a way for you to actually go out and say, you know, I want to talk about this and and find a, a population which is interested and organize that. And then you've got this network of people that you've just met who are interested in the same thing. The other thing that I, I loved about Rich and, and talking to him was he explained what was going on in China. And he said, quite frankly, after we talked, he was like, China is so far ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to sustainability. Europe and the US, just they're not even on the same playing field. He said part of the reason was 40 years ago with the poverty in China and the amount of people, they were forced to come up with solutions and fast solutions. They need to be able to iterate. They need to be able to clean up their pollution in the cities and really mobilize people in a new way in order just to survive. And so I think there's a great way of saying, hey, there's a lot of great things that people are doing around the world. And the more we can connect 
globally, the more we realize that, you know, people in Shanghai have solved problems that we can bring back to our own neighborhood. So I love that approach of, of being able to say, I have this local knowledge of something that worked over here. Here's how I did it. The other thing that he pointed out was that like leaders in this space don't hold their this great change that they're doing to themselves. It's not a trade secret. If you look at companies like Patagonia, like they're always talking about what they're struggling with and, and how they're making a difference. And, and they're putting it out there for other people to engage in these same business practices. And so just tapping into local leaders of like, here are companies which are doing it. You'll notice that they talk about the change that they're doing and you can sit down and they'll share with you their business models. Now, I've, you can see me looking down, I'm writing furiously because I don't want to interrupt you, but there's so many things you're saying that are so important. First of all, if anybody wants to put their toe in the water on the People Helping People podcast, that episode with Rich Brubaker is the one. I fell into that the other day and I positively had a spring in my step when I got done with that. Because Adam, there's such a negative narrative, just nothing but a negative narrative about China. And I've been there. I've been to Chengdu and then the Tibetan side of China. And I didn't notice the craziness that we see on the news, right? Just like there are everywhere. But yeah, it seemed to be that they were really putting the pedal to the metal. And I, I think that what you're doing with interviews like Rich's is really breaking down some notions that we've got that we can just move on from. <laughs> We just got to move on from some notions that we've got. So if anybody wants to de- put their toe in, in that water with Adam, I'm telling you, that is a great episode. Well, um, and, and podcasts that are exploring things globally, I think it's very easy for us to live in our own bubble and not realize that yeah, anywhere you go in the world, we're, we're basically the same. Like, yeah, there's cultural differences, but people are working on developing solutions everywhere in the world and they have access to everything that's on the internet and we're sharing ideas and there's there's this new almost way of communicating progress that that's emerging you know <laughs> one of the reasons i love ever widening circles is that for me it's always been like i have to dig and dig and dig just to find this and it's like how do you connect to this hidden world of like goodness that's going on and so you know it's just, I, I love i love what, what you're sharing because I don't p- think people realize how much awesome stuff is happening and they just don't have a way to connect with that. But as soon as it bubbles up into a consciousness of like, hey, here's how I access this and, and learn from this and, you know, take this wisdom that's happening in Shanghai and, you know, start something local here. There's great stuff going on across the board. You know, there's a whole lot of conversation around how music and artists are really plagiarizing from the last artist. And we should, there's no shame in that. I mean, that's how (laughs) ideas build. That's how we build on the past and create new futures. And that is what we're talking about at Everwinding Circles. We don't just put up some video about puppies in mailboxes. We talk about what we're shining a light on and talk about what it means to us. You know, there's this group uh, climbing ice in China. And what does that mean here? And there are ways to connect almost everything in the world back to possibilities that we could all look at. So another point that you just made that I really like is that I think the pandemic, maybe Patagonia and companies like that have been doing it forever. But I think that that the pandemic has made us all more comfortable with sharing our struggles. And I I love this notion that that companies like Patagonia just put it out there, what they're struggling with, and then people offer solutions. Yeah. And 
I think there's some real truth to that of, you know, just in general, when you look on social media, you see, you know, people's highlights, but the people that really create conversations that change are the ones that are vulnerable about what they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. And I think with the pandemic, I love this notion that you shared with me that, hey, this pandemic that we experienced collectively was this massive pause where we had to stop, you know, life, we, we get so sucked into our life and it, life gets busy. And it's like, we have our routines and our habits and we're going, going, going. And we're with the pandemic, it, it forced everyone to step back from that mad rush and approach life differently. And when you're forced to do that, we adapt, right? But I think in that adaption, in adapting, we realize what we take for granted. We realize, hey, here are routines which might not be necessary, which might not be serving me. And there's space for something new to come out of that. So isn't that kind of the notion that you and you and I are trying to encourage people to to embrace is that, you know, if you don't feel you're living the life that you were meant, if you don't feel like you're being able to express what you were built to contribute to the world, then go out and just try some new things. Like you said, volunteer someplace that just could be a connection in that direction. Maybe it's not and you go volunteer at a new place, but there's this, there's no like leap here. You can, you can take this in baby steps or you can leap like I did. (laughs) Well, you know, it doesn't even have to be like, Hey, I'm starting a whole new thing and I'm going to do this in my spare time and grow it. It's like, conversations with people who are doing interesting things like if you show up to those conversations with curiosity that is enough to to feed the wheel and give you more information right i love this story i had a friend back in 2008 when the, the markets had crashed he was a cto and he had lost his job there were no jobs for his kind of startup cto world that he was in and he came to me and he was like hey adam my company just went under can i buy you a coffee i'd love to share with you what i saw going on in the community and i'm curious what you've been working on and we had this great coffee and he was just very curious about what had been going on and he shared some interesting stuff from his world and at the end he said hey do you know three people that i could talk to that would be interesting that i could share with you know what i've been doing and just learn from them and he spent i think it was a grand total of like four or five weeks having coffees with people and he had another great job (laughs) And for me, this blew my mind out of the water of like, here's how you find a new career. Like his model was, I'm just going to go have coffee and ask questions where I'm curious and learn what's going on and share whatever I have. And for me, that I think stuck with me with the podcast as well. I'm doing something similar. Like, you know, I show up to these podcasts with curiosity and I'm learning. You don't need to run a podcast to have a conversation or coffee with somebody. And quite often those conversations will lead you further than anything else that you can imagine. I absolutely love that 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 whole chunk of insight there. You know what's um what's a, an important sentence there that I don't want to forget to highlight is that he shared what he knew too. These weren't just cups of coffee with people where he was on the taking end. He he just freely shared what he had learned in along his journey as well, which I'm sure improved the way other people were thinking along the way. Yeah. And he he wasn't looking out and saying, hey, I need a job. Do you have a job opening? Like there was none of that. It was just this curiosity that he showed up to it. And it led to one connection after another. And, you know, he said he had had the best (laughs) month of his life (laughs) having having coffees with interesting people. That just sounds that just sounds terrific. So before we wind down here, I, I also am very curious myself. And, and I get a lot of, I just get a, a thrill from hearing about this notion of side hustles. 
Because that's what I see a lot of people doing as a response to this feeling that they're, they've got more to contribute. Talk to me. Do you have any great stories about somebody who started a side hustle that turned out really super? Yeah, tons. Uh, it's very common in, in the social entrepreneurship world, right? People are working in a job. They have one set of skills. They they start something small, whether they're baking cupcakes or they're volunteering somewhere and they are running an event or they're, they're selling something at a farmer's market, you know, in addition to whatever day job that they have. One of my favorite stories is, is this guy, Jerry. He was working at the Columbus Housing Office of urban development, right? Basically helping people from low income connect to houses that accepted housing vouchers. And the system was really bad. It just didn't work, you know, and, and he really felt bad that there just wasn't a better solution for this. And in his, his spare time, he was like, hey, how can I develop a platform that is better than, you know, what what exists? And he started doing this in his spare time. And it gave him enough of an understanding of what was possible for him to get to the point that said, hey, listen, actually, I've got something here and I'm going to leave my job and focus on this full time. So it gives people a way to get confidence and to build a network around what they're doing. I found with any entrepreneur, one of the key indicators of success is how strong your network is for being able to communicate your message, connect with the, the correct stakeholders, connect with the support systems that will help you, you know, find the mentors that you need, you know, be able to have access to to the team members that are going to be right for you. And Jerry, when he left, he, he's building this technology background uh, platform, no, no background in technology. And he had spent enough time in a side hustle to connect with the right people in the community. And then even when he left, he was like, I don't have the resources to build this. So he he started consulting with landlords and, and tenants and just doing small coaching projects, kind of a, a concierge service in the in the world of MVP talk, <laughs> he was he was doing small tests, yeah. but you know he found a way to get paid for this work while he was building his technology platform, and they've they've launched Renter Mentor, and it's actually just growing and 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 providing the service to tenants with their Section Eight housing vouchers so that they can find places that accept them and and get accommodations. So it's really cool to watch that kind of take off and grow from hey I'm starting something small till I have my confidence, my network, my resources in place that I can comfortably jump into that and, and grow. Now, so, so that is a perfect example of somebody who probably now wakes up every morning and knows they're making a difference in people's lives and they're putting bread on the table. I mean, they're not, these two things are not mutually exclusive in this gratitude economy that's coming. Most of us want to do business with people that we know have a good heart. I mean, if you have a chance to go to the dentist that's just running people through like their numbers and the dentist who's sending out people raving about how lovely they were treated and, and how important they felt during the time there, it's obvious, right? The choice, this is the way we're going. I think that we're going to have more and more big corporations rethink their supply chains, rethink their, the movements of their leaders. I don't believe that the millennials and the Gen Z generations are going to let folks get away with just coasting on making more and more profits. I think you're going to... Mm. I think there is a tipping point coming and you see that in the conversations and what people are, what they're insisting on in, in the workplace. You know, what I think the biggest secret is, is like, okay, you don't have to start a social enterprise to have an impact in the world, right? If you're working in a, a job somewhere in a corporation, whatever you're doing, 
that's fine. Focus on the human connection, you know, and if it's your coworkers that you're you're developing that good connection with, if it's, you know, your clients, the other people, like focus on here's the human connection where I can really hear what the other person is experiencing, what their needs are. And it, it might not have anything to do with the actual job. Maybe it's something outside the job, but developing that connection to really hear somebody and connect with them that'll create more change than anything else. Because as we listen to each other and less about, hey, the boss tells me I need to do X and I have to achieve Y, otherwise I won't get my paycheck. You know, that, that model needs to go away to, hey, actually, you know, this is the right thing to do. And we're going to do it because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. And as you embody that, whatever role that you're in, that's going to come across in, in the people around you and that will grow up uh, to other people. I totally agree. I hired and created a position called the chief happiness officer. I love it. Yeah. I looked at our dental practice. My husband and I are both dentists. And when I realized that we're putting a lot of uh, all of our resources towards making sure people keep their teeth their whole life and that we make enough money to do it again next year, but almost nothing. We, we say happiness is a, a, the third pillar of our business, but we weren't really investing in that. And, you know, I think that there is room for people in organizations that are problem solvers that just look at everything through a solution-based lens that can create a role for themselves as a sort of a chief happiness officer without being deemed so. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's you choose how you show up in the world and, and as you change, right. the world around you changes. It reminds me of a quick story from a friend of mine, Pranota Ball. She runs the Cuddles Foundation in India. And how her organization started is she had taken her, her child to the hospital and she was sitting there for her appointment and saw another mother with her daughter where, the, you know, the daughter had cancer and so her head was shaved. And it just struck her, hey, you know, this, this child could be mine. You know, I want to help support kids in poverty who are going through cancer treatment. And she went up to write a check to say, hey, I'd love to donate to this. What needs do you have the most? And, and the lady at the reception has said, hey, we get a lot of money for surgeries and, and the cancer side, but what we really need is money for nutrition and nobody supports the nutrition for these kids. And that really is the biggest factor. So she just started donating towards nutrition and she started fundraising from her friends. And then a corporation heard about what she was doing and was like, well, you know, we want to partner with you. And she said, oh, for sure. And she went off and uh, set up her company the next day so she could be like, yeah, here's my nonprofit. Let's work together. And it, so it grew out of this hide, sell, hustle fashion of just identifying a need and showing up as herself, like and pouring her heart into that. Um, and she's grown this massive organization in India that basically provides nutrition for, for kids who are undergoing uh, cancer treatment. But it's that thing where it's like you follow your curiosity, you find something that, hey, I care about this in the world and I can take an action. Just figure out what that is and, and connect with that community and learn about it. And it's like you plant all these little seeds and pretty soon like these beautiful flowers are going to grow that will take you in a whole different direction. Oh, that is so much like what could happen in so many medium and high level corporations is you can be the one in that in that corporation that knows there's a need in the world for whatever reason. And, and you can go to your corporation and say, hey, we need a corporate uh, social responsibility <laughs> program here. I really do think that that's another thing. CSR, I'm not sure that's a common word in 
ordinary people language, but I think we're going to hear more and more about that. And that's a great place where social entrepreneurship Mm. can get its wings for individuals who are in big pipelines and don't feel connected to being able to contribute to the greater good. Just make sure your company, (laughs) my brother was a pilot for one of the major airlines I'm not going to mention. And I was just desperate to find out what their CSR was. And we could not find it and he could not find it on the internal directory of employees. And I could not believe that a major airline did not have a corporate CSR program. I think it's one of the best ways for corporations to basically bring attention to to their activities, you know, in that way. Because corporations are huge, right? And they have influence in the in the world. And if they can put that attention on there and get enough momentum. Like they have, they have the ability to change everything in the world, how we operate and how, how we show up. I think there, wow. there's a huge issue around public companies with this pressure for profits where people make decisions because they could be sued personally or fired. They could lose their jobs if they, they're not pursuing those profits. And I think that CSR is one of the ways of, hey, as this bubbles up and becomes something that the shareholders demand, then you know, it's, it's something that could lead to great change. Well, and with the right ideas and the right person, you could create the demand for it. Yeah. Well, and that, that's it. It just starts with one person, right? It doesn't need to be something big. And I remember an airline story where a stewardess had started just taking some toiletries that she had from, you know, when she was staying in, in hotels and collecting them and, and donating them. And she had envisioned it for some, it to grow into something big. But it's like her friends started figuring out what she was doing and they started doing it too. And they started a big program around that. And it's like, sometimes it's just the small actions that you're inspired to take. It's like, people don't realize that how much power they have of just following that intuition and that that curiosity to to connect with people. And it's, it's that human connection. It's following your curiosity and start small, right? Make, make one change one time, plant that seed and just, just water it and see what happens, see what grows from it. Well, this has been a lovely chat and I'm, I'm hoping we inspired many, many people to just start taking steps in that direction to find what they're calling as you and I have both discovered that we, we had something to contribute that we never dreamed and I think our job is is to point others in these new directions so that we can be multipliers for all the goodness in the world. I always like to say, Adam, that goodness can be viral too. <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, that so, inspires us more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we get to choose what to give our attention to. Yeah. So why don't you share with us where people, where, where should people go right away to, to learn more about all these amazing people that you're talking to and all your work in this space of social entrepreneurship? Because I know that you're on to something that's going to grow wildly in the next decade. I, I just, I love all this change that's unfolding. The place to find out about the podcast, if you go to peoplehelpingpeople.world, that, that'll kind of take you to the podcast. Uh, you can also search for People Helping People on on iTunes, on Spotify, on you know the Google Play. And we're on social, so you can connect with us at PPL Helping Pod <laughs> on Instagram or Twitter, um, and just People Helping People on Facebook. But I would love to connect with people. If people are curious about this, you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to me. 
There's a, a contact form on the website. It's usually the easiest way to just say, hey, hi, I exist. I, I love this, or I'm curious about this, or I'm doing this great thing in the world. I'd love to find out and, and discover new things. And also, you know, check out the Conspiracy for, for Good Network. I, I think I hope to be a part of this and, and connect with people through there. Um, and I think it's just amazing if there's a community of people who have a lot to offer to come together. So hopefully you can find me on there as well. <laughs> Well, and that that is the purpose of the Conspiracy of Goodness Network is to, you know, the other, I've just discovered a great trademark attorney. Finally, someone that doesn't cost me $5,000 and no end to the frustration to try and trademark the new website that we're going to, I'm just dropping a little seed here. We're going to be launching a new, a new endeavor December 1st. And gosh, it feels really good to have found somebody I can trust or I can talk to in an instant. And, you know, these are the things I needed a good web developer four years ago. And I went through four before I found someone I could trust. We all are, I, I talked, I went to Social Innovation Summit three-day event last weekend. And there are people in the world that are doing the darndest things for nonprofits. They're taking technology from like Microsoft and Apple and refurbishing it and getting Ooh. it to nonprofits for free. There are so many people taking what we have as surplus in the world and getting it into the right hands of people who can change the future. So the Conspiracy of Goodness Network is going to be a wonderful place where anybody of any size can find their peeps. I love that. <laughs> we can uh, mean <laughs> shouting over on the other social media platforms. Uh, the other thing I would say is like, if people really are curious about social entrepreneurship and they, you know, they don't know where to start, check out givebackhack.com. They'll have a virtual event that you can attend in October. You know, they're, they're kicking off planning now. And for me, this has been a revolutionary way to dive in. It's a way to actually get practical experience and connect with other individuals where it doesn't have to be just you. So you, you can show up and, and take part in that. Um, Absolutely. So anything that Adam and I have mentioned will be in the show notes below. This will be a Wednesday article for Ever Widening Circles. And I can't wait to share this with the world. So Adam, I'd like to end all the interviews I do with asking you, what proves to you that it's still an amazing world? That's our byline in Ever Widening Circles. It is still an amazing world. Do you ever say to yourself, geez, it is such an amazing world. Tell me what makes you say that to yourself. Every time I, I go out and I, I see another social enterprise operating in the world where you see people alive, loving what they do and energized about, you know, making an impact and, and getting their hands dirty and, and really sticky things, that tells me that we're on the right track. We're figuring this out. They're, yeah, they're tough problems, but people are showing up to them. And that means I can show up too. So just look in your neighborhood for these social enterprises that are, are doing really great stuff. And hopefully that'll rub off. But it's... There's great stuff coming for this world. We're, we're going to make it. <laughs> well, Adam, thank you so much. And thanks to our affiliate partners for providing and for proving that it's still an amazing world. Some of them are social innovators as well. And you can find more information about today's featured partners in the show notes. And as always, check out Everwinding Circles. The way you can support media that matters at Everwinding Circles is to download the app. It's a dollar a month but it will make all the difference in the world. It's currently our only funding source. And we are hoping to keep that app available to people all around the world at a price that anyone can afford, because we all need to know that it's still an amazing world, still worth supporting, still worth 
rooting for and that a brighter future is possible. So thank you so very much. Have a great day. Thanks.